So you can't even really open your web browser these days without hearing about how something is dying. It's a, an emergency of epic proportions. Apparently, social media marketing is dying. Traditional advertising is dying. Digital marketing is already dead. And in fact, marketing is dead and loyalty killed it. Content marketing is dying. Even influencer marketing, which was just born, yeah, it's already dead. And it's really kind of like that classic George Carlin routine where he says, you know what I've been doing? I've been going through my address book and crossing out all the dead people. It just makes me feel good. It makes me feel superior. Now, just to prove the point, here's a fact. More people died in 2015 by taking selfies than by shark attacks. So now how do you feel about going into the water? But there are things that do go obsolete, of course. The world evolves around them. Take, for instance, folding map. I was the king of folding maps. There was a time that that was a real skill. I was going to be professional-level map folder. Or the floppy disk. And you can also include into that the 8-track, the cassette, the CD-ROM, the DAT tape, the cassette, the VHS, the Betamax, the Laserdisc, or answering machines. Remember stressing out about how overly funny your message was? And it would be, and you stood over that thing for hours, getting the beep just right. Pagers, of course. You were either a doctor or a drug dealer if you had a pager. That's the theme of today's show, planned obsolescence. Looking out over the landscape of your career in marketing and just understanding that in a very short time, you'll be doing something completely different. You ready to change? Let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 124 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, March 28th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the most evolved and changed guy in content, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, buddy? Well, you know, I'm super impressed by your opening. Oh, that's very kind of you. We had had positive. These are are a lot of fun. Yeah, we did have a positive. Positive feedback. feedback. So you just continued to evolve it. So we'll... I mean, what's next? I didn't want to completely automate it? Yeah, well, no, it wouldn't ever be automated. I put (laughs) fine, handcrafted... Uh, artisanal love into that opening. And yeah, I didn't want to, the first one out the gate, I didn't want to do like music and sort of production because I, you know, if everybody hated it, it was going to be like, eh, I was a, you know, tried to, sh- but everybody, uh, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. So I said, let's, let's, let's take it up a notch. Let's, let's build up, uh, let's build up a little production value here. Well, we knew the last, so last week it worked well with no music. Now we'll see if people, no, we want your feedback. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. How is it with the sound effects and the music? Is it working for you? Right, exactly. We'll see. They might hate that. But That's right. I was surprised, actually. I, I to a T. Like I, nobody said we hate the the new intro. So, yeah, yeah. I, so I, you I were was, right. I was, I, well, that's not, but, you know, they, they could also just be, the nice people could have been saying, you know, like, here, this is nice, I'm going to say something, and everybody who hated it could have just been like, we don't want to hurt his feelings. That's true. They you know, probably so, just, so for those of you who hated it, thank you for not hurting my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, before we get started, I have three things. 
So the the first one is just or the first two are the the discount codes for because because we're ending this whole promotion period for Content Marketing World 2016 September 6th through 9th. Uh, this old marketing listeners get two hundred dollars off registration. Two hundred dollars, but, but that ends on March 31st, which I think is what Thursday. Is that yep, correct? Yeah, that's right. So if you're listening, hopefully you're subscribed to this and you're listening to it right away before it goes on to the uh, Content Marketing Institute site. PNR200 is the coupon code PNR, all caps, 200. You get $200 off. That ends on Thursday. Make sure you sign up. And then our spring enrollment for Content Marketing Institute University is ending at the same time, which is hard to believe, but it is. And we are getting phenomenal support for that. But if you want in on it, and by the way, this is not a thing where you can just save money. I'm going to give you a $100 coupon. But if you sign up on April 1st, we're not going to let you in. This is a you sign up for spring enrollment. It ends on March 31st. We'll give you an extra $100 off if you want to do it. It's CMI podcast, all lowercase, CMI podcast, all lowercase to get $100 off. But you have to sign up by March 31st. And that's it. So I think. We got that out of the way. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about. So you and I, we have been – we should talk about this because, sure, first of okay. all, we should thank our listeners. Oh, it's amazing. Because we're floored it's by unbelievable. this. We are indeed floored. So January, we had our, our biggest month ever, I think. It was close to it. But January was – 30,000 downloads. And you and I were thrilled, right? We're like, just thrilled. This is awesome. 30,000 downloads in a month. That's fantastic. Well, February, and by the way, this is just iTunes Stitcher stuff. So it's not SoundCloud. It's not all the other stuff. It's just iTunes Stitcher. So February, we were a little blown away because we had 46,000 downloads in February. I mean, that's. That's impressive growth, my friend. Well, we we <laughs> we're and we're trying to figure it out. Yeah, and, we can't and figure what it I, out. So we're we're not going to get into all that, but there's some interesting things going on, and the show is really starting to take off. And you and I are pretty excited about it. So it's been really interesting to watch the March numbers because we've been on this um, upward trajectory, and and you and I are just been like in denial, I think, about these numbers. But a little anyways, bit, a little bit humbled. Quite so frankly. here's what, so we're, we're, we're whatever, four day, four or five days left to go as we record this in March, and we will actually eclipse 100,000 downloads in what? March. What? I know. You, what? I know. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not. He, folks, I he am, did not tell me this before the show started. I did not he tell you. Tell I, was keeping, I was keeping it back. There is no, if oh, we keep on this, we will, we will fly right through 100,000 downloads for March. And I'm, I, I just can't thank the listeners enough. I for, can't thank you guys enough. This is so much fun. This is so much fun. So I don't know. Maybe we're, we're either doing something really right or really wrong. <laughs> we have people completely and, fooled. <laughs> and whatever it is, it's probably some bot glitch yeah, where there's exactly. like one computer in uh, Dubuque or something yeah. that just keeps listening to it over and over again. But no, the numbers are great. <laughs> just wanted to say thanks. And I wanted to get your reaction on oh, that before we God. get into the that's, episode. So. That's wonderful and lovely. And so thank you for that. All right. Let us to the news. Um, and our first story for the show comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch. Um, and the headline here is the death of Instagram 
for brands. And so uh, Instagram made it official, folks. It is now the last of the biggest of the social media networks that has updated its news feed algorithm. Posts will no longer appear in chronological order and will instead be sorted based on the likelihood you'll be interested in the content. <laughs> okay. All right. Your relationship with the person posting and the timeliness of the post. What does this mean? Well, it means apparently, according to this article, that Instagram will choose what to surface and when, essentially, mirroring Facebook's news feed. The article goes on to talk about how this is really just a bad news for brands idea here, especially as brands are just getting into it. Um, I definitely have a take on this. What did, what did you think about this, Joe? Well, first of all, it's it's great for Facebook, which this article is really interesting for the fact that, yes, the Instagram news, but they detail a little bit of Facebook's revenues and revenue growth. Yeah. We've... We may not have seen a company grow at this rate sustainably over this many years, ever. Maybe maybe Google? I can't remember. A, you mean percentage-wise? Percentage-wise. Percentage-wise, I would. For this years. I'm going to guess. Row. I'm going to guess. Intel in its day? Maybe well, Intel in its well, day? Well, and that pimps a little bit of my, my – um, my rave for later, but yeah, no, maybe, maybe Intel. I, I think percentage-wise, I think there's probably a few companies out there that have grown like this. Now, I think where when you couple in the size of Facebook into that as well, in other words, where they are from a total revenue standpoint and the numbers that they continually add to it, it's pretty breathtaking, actually. Yeah, so I guess the whole take on this is that if any if anybody was paying attention to your Instagram feed, that's that's a big if. If you're a brand, <laughs> then this will then this might affect you because it now becomes a pay to play. You and I and our entire audience have been talking about this for how long? Sure, that this was going to happen. This shouldn't be a surprise. But for those brands that are shocked by this happening, shame on you because uh, we've been talking about it. But basically, there's three options from what I see now. One is it's pay to play. Two is you just become an influencer. So your content is so good and so targeted and so amazing that you it doesn't hurt you because you're the type your content is the type of content that people want to share and you're going to get your money's worth out of that, but that's probably not going to happen. And the other the third way is to work directly with the influencers that are creating the good content on this um, and in order to to help out whatever goals that you might have. Uh, but I I don't know if there's another thing that you can do beyond this, but I think that the majority of brands are just going to pay. Well, that's <clears throat> that's exactly it, right? It's now a it's a paid platform, and you know, so in the interim week, I actually went and did a little bit of digging into instant articles and uh, the Google posts and the uh, AMP program, okay. just to sort of, I really wanted to understand the differences between them. And I came away with some really interesting, I sort of, I, I, with Instant Articles specific, specifically, I came away with some really interesting tidbits. Did you know that you have to have 50 articles to start? No. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Is that 50 articles a day? Well, no. You have to have 50 to 50 submit for in approval. The can. In the can, ready to go for approval. That's for and Facebook. That's for Facebook, Instant okay. Articles, right? Got so that's all I'll talk about because the rest of it is, you know, AMP is a coding thing and, and, and the Google Post thing I think is still a little, you know, a, a, little, a little not baked yet. But Instant Articles, yeah, if you want to take advantage of Instant Articles and get into that, um, that mobile play, 
you've got to have 50 in the can, you've got to get it approved, and you've got to have a, you know, it, all sorts of things, right? It's, it's, it's interesting. And, and all of this obviously is subject to change on April 8th when they, when they, when they actually physically announce this thing is actually going to happen. But what, here's what struck me the most is as you're sort of looking at the instant articles and as you're looking toward the Canvas platform, which is basically – we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, which is a new platform on Facebook where you know, we thought they buried the lead because they talked about the idea of putting rich media ads and sure. paying for that in this stream. They don't look that much different, quite frankly. If you look at an instant article and what you can do with an instant article and you look at a Canvas ad, they don't look terribly different from a physical point of view. And so interesting to me, I think what this is is Facebook basically teeing up in the batter's box Instagram to have both an instant articles and a Canvas platform for advertisers. And so what you do with it as a brand will be you know, up to you. But I think it presents a huge opportunity for brands to get really interesting creative done through a content experience that is either displayed through Canvas or – or if you're a regular publisher and you can meet the cadence requirements to go through an instant articles type of interface and really do some interesting things here. I, because you can capture emails and because you can do all sorts of interesting calls to action now, to me, I think this opens up a really interesting native advertising and content play for brands that really want to experiment with it. So basically, instead of instant articles, it's like instant images or videos because that's what you would do on Instagram. So it's just a little bit – that's where you see it going. That's exactly saying. right. I, I cannot see them waiting you know, because to the point of the article, the article basically makes the point that, look, Facebook's pressure to revenue eyes, monetize, dollarize all of these services is huge to keep it the trajectory that they're going. So it just makes complete sense to me that they're looking at Instagram going, OK, batter up, right? And here we go and let's, let's – Let's give them the same kinds of platforms as we've seen with Facebook. And Facebook basically becomes the, you know, sort of this is where we're going to experiment and play with this thing. And then Facebook become, or excuse me, Instagram becomes another place where they can sort of roll out whatever makes sense from an image standpoint uh, uh, that made, you know, that got traction on Facebook. You know, this could go down as one of the greatest purchases of all time. Oh, it's because huge. Yeah, it's remember when I, what, what what they buy? How many billions of dollars did they buy it for? Oh, it was multi. I can't whatever, remember. Whatever. When, so somebody correct us out there. It was yeah. a, a billion plus dollars. But, and right. they, they were like they had 13 people in the company at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everybody thought it was like there's no way. They did $600 million in revenue in 2015 forecasted to grow by 150%. So they'll be at, let's say, what is that? One point. Uh, 1.4 whatever it's going to be 1.4 billion dollars oh my goodness this is and they've they haven't even taken the lid off of this thing yet i know to your point about all canvas and canvas and instant articles are just starting so that's going to be it's there's a lot of room for growth there well before we go on to the next article i just have to say this because we talked about it a few episodes ago in the sidebar here at the tech (laughs) crunch they they say and you probably see it too yeah snapchat buys emoji startup bitmoji absolutely (laughs) did you see that come on (laughs) have you seen the have you seen the the masquerade thing the the um, i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right the msqrd that was all the rage at South by this year, which is you can do a Snapchat and actually put like a gorilla face on or a mask on, that kind of thing. I Get ready totally for the bitmojis, my friend. Get ready for the bitmojis in Snapchat. It's happening. It Maybe we happen. won't even be ourselves in the future. We're just going to be some <laughs> crocodile head bitmoji or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, right. congratulations to uh, you know 
Kathy McPhillips, our VP of Marketing, who is in love with Bitmoji. And so yeah. are you, I think. I, you know, I've, 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 I have. So happy I have, for the both of you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you thank got you it. very much. All right. <laughs> moving along very quickly here down our little sidewalk of stories here. And the next one comes to us courtesy of marketingland.com. And it is. The MarTech landscape and MarTech, the event was just a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it just preceded intelligent content when we were out in Vegas. And the MarTech space continues to grow at a huge rate, as evidenced by the record 3,500 companies included in the latest marketing technology landscape that's been done in conjunction with the first day of Marketing Land's MarTech conference. The landscape is shown at the top of the story that we'll link to in the show notes, and you can click on it. There's a PDF, there's a giant JPEG. It is. I mean, he Scott Scott Brinker who does this every year, and God bless you, Scott. It yep. is. That's you're doing. You're doing God's work, son. I mean, that's that's really just amazing stuff that he he promised it was going to be less companies this year, but it's not. Yeah, it's and, on, and on the eighth companies. day, the yeah, marketing exactly. technology landscape was built. This is incredible. How it many is companies incredible. there are. It's here, unbelievable. So. Anything stand out to you in this? Well, the first thing I just wanted to say for Scott Brinker and how amazing this is, he is really, for the most part, focused on this one thing for the past five years. Right. And he's gotten more attention off of this thing than most do by creating mul- you know, multiple pieces of content over time. I, I just, the Lunascape used to be like the thing, right? The Lunascape yeah. used to be the thing. And now his thing is the thing. It's, it's this thing. So it's yeah. just a point where you where you focus on one thing, one really important thing, and you do it really well, that you can it can really help your business. And I think there's no doubt that it's helped Scott, his speaking, his company, his books. He just launched a really good book. Uh, to So anyways, I just wanted to say hats off to Scott on this. Uh I'm surprised, and you and I talked about this a little bit before the show. Yeah. I thought it was going to be let. I thought there were going to be less companies this year. Yes. Well, there. Let, let's be clear. There are more logos. There will be less companies this year. <laughs> there. So, you know, the number of companies that you and I are hearing, you know, sort of through the back channel grapevine that are like dropping like flies is is many. There are there are many that are struggling right now. There's just too there, there's too many there's just too many there's too many for uh, there's not enough revenue to go around That's for right. all these companies. So the, just even if just for example, take a look at marketing automation. Now the last this I could be wrong, but the last numbers that I heard on marketing automation that just that only four percent of companies have any kind of marketing automation technology solution. Now yes. That means there's a big upside that ninety six percent don't. But we're it's not like we're doubling tomorrow. It's not that's like right. that's going to be from four to eight percent. They may go from four to four point five percent to four point whatever the case is. It's growing, but there's no way, and that's across the board with all these different technologies and all these categories. It's so. fascinating to me because so I, I, I did a little thinking over this the, the last week because I actually saw a number. So I went to Adobe Summit last week, and of course, marketing automation was all the buzz. Everybody's talking about personalization and marketing automation, and this, by the way, this this MarTech slide was in everybody's deck that I saw that, that, that presented. And here's a fascinating thing. So you and I have seen that 4%. By the way, that number comes from VentureBeat, I believe, or oh, TechCrunch, um, if I'm not mistaken, in an article um, late, late last year, November of last year, where it said 4% of companies over 20 employees had marketing automation systems. Now, having said that, I've seen a couple of stats since then that that conflict with that. Okay. Some I've seen I've seen stats that say 20%, I've seen stats that say 42%. 
And so obviously the universe of companies is really important here because in that 4%, it's any company over 20 employees. Now, that 40% may be B2B technology companies. I don't know. I haven't yeah. looked that deeply at it yet. But here's my, my point is this. With this, to your point of there not being enough revenue to go around here, when you look at marketing automation, four, we shouldn't assume that 4% goes to 100%. In other words, quite frankly, the technology may be limited to a very small percentage of companies just by the very nature of it. And the interesting thing to me is how many companies, and this is anecdotal because of the number of companies that we see as clients and advisories, um, sessions and workshops, et cetera. The number of clients that I see on a daily basis that are buying, you know, that have 10, 15, 20 different solutions, are it's huge, right? And they're all handling one little small piece. And so it's interesting to me that a lot of marketing departments these days are choosing to buy really small little point solutions and try and string them together as best they can yeah. rather than buying the giant, gigantic sort of suite of solution that will solve a big major problem, quite simply because it's become a little bit of a churn, right? They can go, well, they can try this thing out, and if it doesn't work, they just they just cancel the credit card on them that month. And, and so there's a lot of churn in this space right now, but even with buying 20, 25 different solutions for your marketing department, there's still not enough money to go around to 3,500 companies. There just isn't. So what's going to happen in the next year? There are 3,874 logos on here. And of course, we don't think there's going to be that many companies in the next. So we're going to see more M&A. We're going to see more companies go out of business. Is all of the above. All of the all above. above. Yeah, yeah, all of the above. All of the above. Because if you look at those logos, most of those companies are small, 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 small companies, right? You know, 10, 15, 20-person companies that are, you know, look, some of them are incredibly innovative and doing really interesting things. And some of them just quite frankly aren't. And I think you're going to see a lot of M&A in the next eight months. I think you're going to see a lot of companies that just quite frankly fall and fail. Um, and I think you're going to see um, a lot of companies sort of um, I think you're going to see very few. Everybody keeps asking, when are we going to see the unicorn in the marketing stack space, right? Where is the billion-dollar marketing technology company? And I don't think it's – I don't think it's – of those 3,500 companies in there, I think there's maybe one or two in there. There's not a lot. I don't – yeah, I agree with you. I don't see it. I don't, no. I don't see it yet. I think there's there's two – you've got to clear the road a little bit <laughs> to get yeah. to that point because you're right. There's still a lot of these smaller purchases going on and, um, and, and frankly, a lot of these companies aren't mature enough yet. That's right. And if they are mature enough, it's usually open only happening in one small silo of the organization and you still got to – that's exactly Move it right. To the other parts yeah, of the organization, marketing departments are buying technology like we buy apps in an app store, right? Yeah. I mean, they're you know they're they're pulling them in, they're trying them out, they're play, paying for them with a credit card or with an operational budget, and IT is rarely involved in these purchases, and they're just trying stuff out to see if it fits, and when it fits. Then they're either sort of figuring out how that it aligns into an IT and getting into bigger, you know, a bigger piece of that, or they're actually just, you know, just just keeping it, you know, it's it flies under the radar. And so there's a lot of companies out there. I mean, I, I met with one big, very large B2C brand. We'd all know the name. And quite frankly, they sent me their spreadsheet of all the different product groups that had different technologies. And they had Contently and Newscred and Capost and Divi 
And I mean, they had every single content marketing suite that exists out there. They, I mean, they had them all. I mean, every single one of them. As and, like, are they testing them? I mean, no, what's no? The, just different product groups just went out and bought groups, it, yeah, right? That makes sense. You know, so the different this product group went. Oh, we need a calendaring solution, so they went out and got Divi. Another product group went. Hey, we need a, a content and a collaboration system, and they went. Oh, that news cred thing is kind of cool. Let's go get that. And another one went. Hey. Contently is awesome, and you know, let's go get Contently. I mean, they just they just went out and acquired, and they had every single one of them. And their question to me was, which one should we choose? And you know, that's a different story. But but you know, the, the it's a really fascinating time when you see so many of the same candidates just listed down the left hand side of an Excel spreadsheet. Well, I, my my biggest love in this whole thing is the fact that. Uh, Scott and the folks at uh, Chief Martech there, they, they colored the content and experience category orange. Yes. That means something. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, so just I he's need to send it. him. He's send absolutely him, send him a nice, <laughs> a nice fruit cake or something like fruit that cake. would be fantastic. Fruit cake. Why, why would you of want course. to be mean to him like that? I'm no, what's wrong? Fruit. What's wrong with a fruit cake? Dude. You're, I'm not saying fruit cake, cake is a negative thing. No. Have you ever had a fruit cake? Not for like twenty years. <laughs> exactly my point. And it's Maybe the same they've one. changed. Have you ever, there's a great comedian who talks about that. There's actually only twenty five fruit cakes on the entire planet, and they just sort of circle the globe, <laughs> going from house to house. Oh my god, that's terrible. <laughs> All, right, All right, let's move on to our yeah. next story here. This one comes to us courtesy of MediaShift.org, and the headline is: We are at a tipping point against ad-supported journalism. Dun dun dun! The death of ad-supported journalism. And the story opens up by saying, a year ago, after two decades of morale-sapping uncertainty about the viability of its business model, the journalism industry was feeling optimistic. Late 2014, it seen a dramatic vote of confidence in its future as several startup digital publishers received lavish investment from both venture capitalists and large media companies. As the quote says, executives of subscription-supported media companies are not alone in beginning to question the wisdom and sustainability of an advertising-dominated media landscape. Big money is beginning to wash over the media landscape, the Wall Street Journal reported in January of 2015. So it goes on the article to talk about native advertising to subscription models and basically is journalism dead, Joe? Is this is this the ad-supported journalism is gone now? Is Have we, have we pivoted past that point? I, I just – I mean we've talked about this before but the thing that I just can't understand – well, I can but it's – I think this is – this is the problem that we have right now with all the change in technology and the changes to content distribution. The evolution of the business model hasn't evolved at all for journalism. It still, for the most part, focuses on advertising. Right. I mean, so there's been no – even though there's nine different ways that you can monetize content – they're still, for the most part, focusing on advertising. And that's gone, of course, into native advertising, which we talk about it at length on the show. But it, it's, it's unbelievable. What ha- I think what happened is, is, is we were seeing in, the, in 11 and 12, and we were having all these wonderful, interesting journalism-based launches. You had companies like you know, Vox and Vice and BuzzFeed come out, and they could say, oh, my gosh, they, I mean, they were doing great. Right, they were getting yeah. tons of money. Yeah. They were doing great on advertising. It's like, oh, maybe advertising is going to work now. Well, not so much because what <laughs> what this article talks well what this article talks about is is the whole race to traffic and page views is a race to the bottom. Right, of course, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, there was we're not talking about it, but there was a is it Vox or Vice? I can't remember which. Maybe it was Vox that came out that said that their traffic was down month over month. Oh, it was Vice, actually. Vice. Yeah, Thank Vice. you for that. Yep. Yeah, because of the fact that they were doing some um, some curious uh, 
they were involved in some curious ways to get traffic right. that weren't working as well and some suspect sites. Uh, and, and so I don't, I mean, I don't know. And that, I think that's what the whole thing. And, and I guess there's, there's one quote in here I wanted to talk about cause I thought it was so interesting and I totally disagreed with it. Uh, is Hamilton Nolan, and I don't know Hamil- uh, Mr. Nolan here, captured this angst. Just Way to talking. go, Hamilton. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he penned for Gawker this in January and says, maybe there is a talented young writer out there with a dream of starting the very best, smartest magazine or website that has ever existed <clears throat> and building it into their very own historic legacy, Nolan wrote. I'm here to tell you that it will not work. <laughs> the bus- isn't that something? The yeah. business of media has very little, if anything, to do with quality journalism. If you aspire to be a writer of legitimately good things, the best you can hope for is to get the the prestige spot that is paid for by the garbage. Oh my God! And I can't agree with I can't disagree with that anymore. I bet he's fun at a dinner party. Oh Yay. my God! Well, <laughs> I mean. I get what he's talking about. About I mean, if you if you look at most business media, it has nothing to do with quality journalism. For, so from that standpoint, he's absolutely right. I mean, I think that we can all agree to that. Right. Okay. Look at the look at yeah. look at the companies. Look at the, okay. And nothing. By the way, I like Huffington Post and sure, I like BuzzFeed, sure. but it's not like it's not quality journalism. Of course not. But it's not like right. New York Times. It's not like um, you know Wall Street Journal. Well, the New York Times isn't the New York Times. Well, anymore, and, right? I mean, okay, we can get into that right. argument right. and whatnot. But the right. the point is, is th- yes, you can do this really well. And you can monetize it. You just shouldn't look at advertising first. That's what, I mean. What's the deal? It's it's got a yeah. there's a there, you could sell products and services. You could take donations. You could run events. You could do all kinds of different things. And of course, that's what we propose at Content Marketing Institute. But, but if you're going to focusing on advertising, it's it is very difficult. But I think that's I wish he would have just added the caveat of if you focus on an advertising driven model, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I mean, look, I'm a marketing guy, right? And so, as we discovered last week, um, I'm you know, I, I have no morals because I'm ready to do things in an unbranded way. But, <laughs> so, so. Um, but going beyond that, I look at this and I, I just – I kind of don't get it. I mean I see these arguments happen all the time you know, at events. I'll go I'm, – I'm here in Toronto today and we'll be speaking at an event tomorrow that I'm sure this will be a topic of conversation, which is the publishers arguing amongst themselves about the different business models that will support the proper level of, of journalism. And to me, I just – I kind of look at it and I tilt my head like my dog looks at me and I go, I, I don't understand why journalists are so skeeved out – by every other way to monetize content except advertising. And I know they would rather do it with, you know, with absolutely, you know, some magical leprechaun that comes down with a bucket full of money that pays them what they're worth with no conflict of interest at all. But in all of them, it seems to me that there are so many different ways to monetize content, to your point, that are not interruptive-based advertising models that are at least, you know, as or less skeevy than the actual interruptive-based average. I just don't understand the, the, the such the, the, the such disgust at different, you know, at, at publishers trying to monetize in different ways. It's just, it, I don't know, I don't understand. That's the same it. thing as when we go into these big companies talking about content marketing, and the biggest challenge to that 
is yeah, changed. Of course. It's, it's, it's different. It's a great point. It's a great point. That's a great point. It's just different. And you've had and, – and by the way, it hasn't been so long ago that – you know, the really, really successful companies 15, 20, 25 years ago, those executives that made those, made a lot of those companies really successful through advertising, they're still around. It's hard, yeah, it's hard for exactly them to right. – it's hard to convince them that there is actually a different business model out there and they're not used to that business model. Yeah. If you said go out and sell products, which is a different model, but you can absolutely come at it from a product and service standpoint. You so, can. And you absolutely can. Well, speaking of a product and service model and a wonderful advertiser that we should – take some time to talk about i can't believe they actually continued on it's just yes a, it's a wonderful wonderful thing i to, to be able to say that just try, try to keep them on forever it yeah. just makes our job in selling a lot easier i'll tell you that for sure thank you this uh this week to our wonderful sponsors a sponsor go to webinar and we're going to talk a little bit about webinars and and hopefully you've been listening to this and you've already downloaded this amazing piece but if you haven't did you know that webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketing tactic for lead generation, with over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars. But, sadly, many businesses still struggle <laughs> with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. It's just sad. I'm, I'm, I'm crying a virtual tear right now. Uh, you're like that Indian on the side of the road. Yes. Oh, following, following a simple... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Follow, I'm sorry. Following a simple five-step plan. The keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from yes, <gasps> daunting to doable. Daunting to doable. Hashtag yes, absolutely. From finding your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion, you will discover the five steps to attract your target audience and your next to your next webinar. Ready? You need to do this now. Go get this ebook at bitly.com/go-to-webinar. Dash attract dash audience. That's bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience or go to thisoldmarketing.com right to the podcast. You can download it at your leisure. Please support our wonderful sponsor, Go to Webinar. We certainly thank them for their ongoing and wonderful support. I thought you were going to do a Shatner there for a second there. You will go over there. I almost I almost did, but from you did for me. doable. Yeah, we know. It seems like we're spending longer and longer on these sponsorships because I can't get through them. You're making me laugh, man. <laughs> sorry. So, no, it's I'm all sorry. good. It's all now good. Now for your favorite segment of the show, ladies and gentlemen, is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, well, makes us feel like we want to die or makes us feel like we've died and gone to heaven. How about that? Um, and so let's see. I have this old marketing this week, so I go first. Do you I go not? first. All right, let's do it. So yep. here we go. I have two, two as one rave, and then I have a bit of a commentary. I, it's it's a little bit of a rant, like an old man get off my lawn kind of thing. But it's ultimately a, a rave about someone that I just think was incredibly influential. But the the rant part of this is quite frankly, did you know? I'm sure you do that Andy Grove died last week. I did hear about that. Yes, and and. You could hear crickets over the, the amount of noise that was made about it. Was Andy I was really was, surprised by that. Like way much more. I mean, I loved Gary Shandling as well, but Gary Shandling it must have been fifty to one. It, yeah, I mean, or, it, or it fifty to that. zero, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and yeah, look, I love Gary Shandling too, and I understand he's a pop culture icon, and Andy Grove is is a inside baseball industry business strategist CEO. 
but he's an icon. Everything we're doing now in digital is because of Andy Grove, quite frankly. Um, what we'll link to in the show notes is a, a blog post by um, – by, uh, have you ever read uh, Stratechery? No. It's a I'm great not. blog. It's a wonderful – they have a blog and, and they have a podcast, a wonderful podcast called Exponent. Um, and it's just a, a, a really great podcast that I listen to. And the, the, the guys there did a blog post about – and they basically profiled Andy Grove and that's what we'll link to. But he was just an incredible – incredible man because he was for those of you who don't know who Andy Grove was he was one of the, he wasn't technically a founder because he came on after the original guys started the company but he is by all accounts one of the founders of Intel and really he wrote books he taught at Stanford he was an amazing thinker um, just an unbelievable strategist grew Intel and basically one of the most important business decisions that our generation has ever seen was Intel getting out when the Intel first started they were of course a memory company they made memory for big mainframes and those sorts of things and he got it he got Intel into what we of course now know them for which is the microprocessor business and he basically pivoted the business and, and got them into that um, and basically wrote a book about it and wrote many books about his life and his idea and the idea of he's a he was a big follower of Clayton Christensen innovators dilemma and all of that and they ended up doing some things together Clayton Christensen and Andy Grove which is just wonderful reading if you want to talk about disruption anyway just an unbelievable icon of the industry and and I wanted to give a shout out because it's it's something his influence has been huge in my thinking and and where I am in business today and you know it's just it I was sad to not see the same amount of attention that was heaped on you know somebody like a Steve Jobs or somebody like that you know put to Andy Grove who was a huge icon Correct. of the business totally totally agree with that um, my second little quick rave here is from actually uh, cmo.com um, that's what we'll link to in the show notes it's that's really hard to link to this because it was something you kind of had to see in in person which was so I went to as you know I went to Adobe Summit last week and um, and did a little thing for them there but but I got to see the keynote which was the Mattel CEO and he told the story of the last basically two years of Mattel through everything, the reinvention of Hot Wheels to the reinvention of Barbie um, and all the things that went on with Barbie with the different you know, skin tones and the doll sizes and shapes and all that kind of stuff. And he basically told about a rebirth of the entire brand of Mattel. And he walked through the history of Mattel and sort of where he picked it up as CEO and sort of the last 18 months of the journey. And quite frankly, it was all around creating a myth, a story, a, you know, basically understanding what business they were really in, really getting to the core why of what the brand was all about, which for them was a creation company. They weren't a toy company. They created things. And all of the things they've got in the pipeline. It was just an amazing presentation. The, the show notes will have a link to the CMO.com sort of overview of his presentation, which won't do it justice. When they put out the video, maybe we can go and update the show notes or something because it was just a wonderful presentation. I couldn't speak about it more highly. It was just – it was it made me inspired to be a marketer today. It was just fantastic. And you said there, it was, there was a lot of people there. There was 10,000 people there, easily. Easily 10,000 people, yeah, at Adobe Summit. That's yeah. a little too busy for me. It's big. It was. It, it, if I if I'm completely honest, it was too big. Um, I think it lost some of the. I mean, they moved it obviously from Salt Lake City, um, where it's been forever, um, and it, they just outgrew it. And so, 
There was something, though, to the Salt Lake City location that made it intimate. And this is going to sound weird, but because of the sort of, you know, you don't drink when you're really in Salt Lake City and you don't, you know, it's there was a you got it was more business focused. I don't that's going to sound weird to say, but but in Vegas, it was like, blah. I mean, it was just like it was all about the Vegas parties. Right. And so it just felt a little disjointed to me. Going a little bit, a little bit toward Dreamforce. Yeah, exactly. That's a great that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. If you've been to Dreamforce, it was a lot like that. Mm. Not that, by the way, if there were 10,000 people at Content Marketing World, I would not complain about that at all. But I'm just saying. So we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, thank you for that. Of would course. You like, would you like to hear my, I have a rave this week. Would you oh, like to hear great. it? Oh, Fantastic. I would okay. love to hear oh, it. Of well, course. I'm going to share it with you right now. So oh, I think you. You know, I think you know this, but I just finished reading a truly fascinating book, and I'm, and I, I'm not overstating it. Um, about the fall and rise and fall again of the Disney Empire called Disney War. Have you read this? By I have James not. Stewart? No, okay, then now you've done oh, four you, podcasts this, in a row and you've given me two book ideas. So, this, okay, this I'm is, downloading that tonight. This is, uh, by the way, it's really long. It's 520 okay. pages. <laughs> All right. Well, it's like a Disney War. Of course, so, it's going to be long. Yeah, so anyways, the, the majority of it focuses on the Michael Eisner years. Now, Eisner became CEO of Disney in 1984 and at the time brought a much needed change in culture to Walt Disney's empire, and, which, by the way, uh, from in 1984, so uh, when he became CEO in 1984, Disney hadn't had a hit movie in almost a decade, which is wow. hard to believe. And by the way, that was Herbie the Love Bug. Was, oh my God. Was, was, I remember the movie. that movie. Yeah, so, so basically, creative, creatively, they were struggling. Business model-wise, they were struggling. And this could have been you know, the greatest media company of our time of course. You know, before then. So now, at the beginning of the book, there is this very interesting quote from Eisner. And I want to read through this, and then I'm going to adjust it. So I'm going to read through this first part from Eisner. Here, here I go. All right. So Eisner says, we have no obligation to make art. We have no obligation to make history. We have no obligation to make a statement. But to make money, it is often important to make history, to make art, or to make some <laughs> significant statement. In order to make money, we must always make entertaining movies. And if we make entertaining movies, at times we will, be, we will reliably make history, art, a statement, or all three. We cannot expect numerous hits, but if every film has an original and imaginative concept – then we can be confident that something will break through. So that's that's Eisner's statement. I and totally I, know what you're going to do, and I'm loving. I've already have okay. chills. This is so fantastic. So so anyway, so I go through that, and I'm reading over it like in my obsessive compulsive way, yeah. like ten times. So I read it over and over again, and I'm trying, and I'm like, this is this is so content marketing esque. So I I rewrote this, as you know. So I I'm, I'm going to give you the. So this is my rewritten All right. statement based on Eisner. So here we go. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this is in the context of somebody can use this as sort of their mission statement oh, so for why I, I, they do I've content already, marketing. I'm already seeing it. Yep. So, okay. So here it is. Our business has no obligation to make art or history or to make a statement with the content we create. But to make money and to see a return from the content we do create, it is often important to make history, to make art, or to make some significant statement. In order to make money, we must always make compelling and relevant content. And if we make compelling and relevant content targeted to a specific audience and deliver that consistently over time, at times, we will reliably make history, art, <laughs> a statement, or possibly all three. 
Now, we cannot expect viral hits, but if every piece of content we create has an original and imaginative concept, then we can be confident that something will break through and we will gain a subscriber to our content. So that's what... That's so great. That's what I did with that one. I love that. So I had a little bit of fun doing that. And it feels, you know, it's not perfect. Of course not. But it feels right. It feels meaningful. And so my hope is that, you know, people can sort of take that along with them and and sort of as a rallying cry to to do, to create great stuff. I love it. Oh, I'm so stealing that. I'm so so stealing that. Steal away. Steal away, my friend. That (laughs) That was fun. But anyways, I do recommend the book. And by the way, it is such a soap opera. I, I mean, you learn a lot about creativity. You learn a lot about the inner workings of a media company. It's, it was all fascinating to me. But I've never read such a soap opera that's in that book. Oh, I what, can't what wait. What was going oh. on inside Disney. It is unbelievable, some of the stuff. And by the way, some of the – that Disney has been so successful passing – on such amazing things like they they passed on the whole Lord of the Rings franchise they p- passed on the apprentice wow. they they passed on so many things that you're like oh my god i can't believe they still were successful and they passed on all these amazing things so it's unbelievable anyways, there you go awesome. so you have this old marketing i do have this old marketing this week and this one is not that old but it's just a fascinating one because of the way it it i actually it was me to be marketed to which i Loved because I'm rarely the I'm rarely the subject of sort of the person being uh, marketed to with content marketing, and so when it when I actually see it in the wild, it's actually kind of cool. So, um, do you know uh, when you've gone to New York or some big metro uh, metropolitan area, have you gone into any of the WeWork centers? I have not. No. So all around the U.S., they're in San Francisco. They're, they have, we have them in L.A. Um, they're in New York. I'm sure they're in London. I'm sure they're in you know they're in a lot of different places all over the world. And you walk in, and they're sort of um, they're called WeWork, uh, all one word, WeWork. Um, and they're you know they're like uh, e office suites, right? So you can you can quite literally rent a table. You can rent a conference room. You can rent a full office suite. And it comes with internet and it comes with a receptionist and it comes with, you know, snacks and all. So basically, if you're a, one of those little tiny startups that we talked about earlier uh, on Scott Brinker's chart, you can actually, and many of them, I'm sure, are in these little offices in the WeWork centers all over the world. And so that's the way, you know, they're kind of like, you know, sort of instant office kind of thing. And so I've done – I've rented conference rooms before. You know, I've been in a city and needed to meet with a client and a hotel room feels a little weird. So we just basically get a little conference room in one of these places and it's great. And so um, so I'm, I'm a subscriber to their customer newsletter that I get. And all of a sudden I got a newsletter two weeks ago and it's from this – it's from WeWork and it's called Creator Magazine. And the newsletter has changed its format. Now, I don't know if it changed that week or if I just noticed it that week, but it, but they changed their format and it said creator and it brought me to – I clicked on the story and it brought me to a, a new website, an owned media property, which was creator.wework.com. And it's beautiful. And it's basically this magazine that tells stories of all these startups that are all around the world and what they're doing to change the world and hire people. And it basically, it's a lifestyle magazine for the startup community. And so if you're a startup entrepreneur and you you know want to learn about this guy who started a company in San Francisco or in New York, you would read about this wonderful thing. And the writing is great. And the photography is wonderful. And, and so I was really impressed by the experience. And so I went, huh. 
I browsed around. Of course, they asked for subscribers. You subscribe to it. And, it, and so I was impressed enough that I reached out to WeWork and I said, you know, here we have this little, you know, knuckleheaded podcast and we'd love to talk about you guys. What do you think? And so I sent them a bunch of questions. And so they answered me back. They basically said, yeah, sure. Here's the story. So the story is they've had a magazine since the company began, but uh, apparently weren't getting as much traction with it as they like. So they relaunched it in 2013 as creator with really the idea of uh, the name being the main point, right? So they've got 50,000 subscribers and many of them have really cool, innovative ideas about their companies and what they're working on. And they wanted to tell every single story. They basically that their mission is to tell every story of one of their people who who uh, office within the WeWork sites, and okay. basically you know that includes everybody from a you know a virtual reality greeting card company to shirts that monitor your health to all these people and all of them behind the scenes and telling the stories of those people. And they said we wanted to make Creator to place to tell their stories. Um, they the the guy who I talked with who is the editor there the managing editor of the with the title of managing editor by the way of the magazine um, the fact they're also doing special series so they have the magazine and then they do special series within the magazine and the one he said he was the most proud of was they did a, a funded or excuse me founded by women series um, and it was a series of profile of women within that community. And so they're sort of going niche within niche and sort of focusing on different profiles of the different kind of creators there. And it's every week consistently comes out in my inbox. It's just a wonderful example. It's been around for the last three years in this incarnation. And then for some years previous to that, I just thought it was a really nice example of this old marketing. Oh, that's excellent. Send that over to me. I want to well, I guess I can go check it out now that you told me where Well, it's when at. I sent you over the show notes, that was yeah, like, exactly. the link was there actually it is. In it. Yeah, there it is. Perfect. That's, I, <laughs> yeah. love, uh, I love stories like that. That's yeah. And they were pretty receptive when you reached out to them? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't know who the heck we were. So yeah. the, I, I didn't bring up the fact that we got 100,000 downloads, yeah, like, mister. Do you know who Do you who know who are? I am? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So you're in Toronto right now, correct? I am in Toronto. That is correct. And are, is that it for the week? Like what's that going on? That is for the week. That is, that, is, that is it for the week, yeah. Okay. And, and then, then I'm, I'm home after that. And then next week, uh-uh, I, go off, I head off to Brussels. So of all places in the world. So next week I'm in Brussels. It's going to be just fine. I'm going to be playing a lot of golf. I know you uh, are. Next week. So I'm very – our annual golf trip. So hopefully no rain, warm weather. We'll have, we'll have a good time. So Oh, I know. You're, you're going to – of course you're going to have a – Oh, I have a good time regardless. It's going to be <laughs> exceptional. But I'm hoping it won't be raining and it won't be too cold. So I, I, we've done the golf trip where like literally it's been almost snowing. So that's that's not what we want this year. No, that's not it what looks, you want. It going down, yeah, going down to South Carolina, it actually looks really warm. It just <laughs> it's just a lot of rain in the forecast, but you never know. I mean, you can't trust anything. So in a couple of days, it could be that's right, it could be just fine. So there you go. Well, all right then. Well, we shall sign off then for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose, and we are signing off. And tweet us up. We love those story ideas at the hashtag This Old Marketing. Thank you so much for those of you who sent in stories this week. We really truly appreciate it. And if you have a question at all, you can always send an email, all hundred thousand of you, uh, to This Old Marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and twenty-four, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. All the links that we talked about will be in the show notes that we'll put in the show notes themselves, which comes out on Monday night, and then of course, on the show post, which hits on Saturday afternoon at thisoldmarketing.com. Until then, everybody, next week, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.